arguments and criticism meet. Split Frame of Reference Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Bird. I want to tell you about my good friend, Amy Bird. Uh, no relation. She spells her name strangely with a Y. But Amy has written a crackalackin book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It's because of Amy and and a few other people, I've become convinced that what we call the so-called biblical manhood and womanhood isn't really all that biblical. It really represents a kind of post-World War II, middle-class, suburban gender diagram or gender laws, which we kind of artificially impose in our culture. And Amy, I think, puts together a real penetrating and a real uh, thoughtful critique of the entire biblical manhood and womanhood movement. And irrespective of where you come from on the theological spectrum, whether you're more egalitarian or even complementarian, I think you'll find something in her work that is uh, thought-provoking, challenging, and will at least you know make you think uh, about whether the things that you've been taught about this is the biblical view is it really biblical or is it simply people trying to regulate relations between the sexes based on culture and a particular culture that's emerged in their suburban context so that's why i think people will definitely benefit from amy's book and amy amy has made a splash this this bird has ruffled some feathers in the reformed world and she got cancelled and the fact that she got cancelled means she is definitely worth listening to because she's willing to tell some people what they do not want to hear and uh, and that's you know with the fact that she identifies as, as a devout evangelical christian who's committed to the authority of scripture and she is a great teacher she is a great communicator and you will definitely enjoy listening to her Welcome to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Nick, and Nolan's here too. And you may hear him crying in the background. So. <laughs> and you may hear a puppy, because Amy's got a puppy. We've got Amy Bird here with us. <laughs> yeah. You never know. We might get puppies whining and babies crying. And cats meowing. We've got All a in good fun. Yeah. Cat too. <laughs> All right. Well, Amy, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm 44 now. And... Um, I've written five books and I never really had any ambition to be an author and it still kind of feels weird to say. Um, got married really young. I was 21 years old, right out of college. And um, my parents had divorced when I was in high school and it was just devastating for me. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and it was like a, a dis- more of a dispensational church. We weren't like super connected in it. However, you know, we worshiped most Sundays there. Um, my whole childhood, I, my parents taught me good praying habits and just Christian morality and, you know, that the words in scripture were 
the word of God and that they were true and that there wasn't any error in it. And I had strong convictions on all that. But when my parents got divorced, I kind of flew off the deep end a little bit, I think, like questioning, like, how could they say all this stuff? And then now here they are divorced. And yeah. um, so I would say a couple years, I was a little bit lost. I, I, in my heart, knew that I was a Christian, but I certainly wasn't um, living like one. But I kind of, in the back of my mind, thought, well, when I become an adult, you know, I'll go back to. (laughs) But uh, thankfully, the Holy Spirit really kind of um, grabbed my heart a couple years and my mind a couple years into college, just with conviction that um, if you say that you're in Christ, then you need to live like that, too. You can't live a double life. Mm -hmm. And I really realized that... um, I need to know what that means then. I need something stronger than this like inward faith that I feel and a, and a handful of catchphrases. Mm. I need to really understand my faith better and know God better because that will then motivate me to, to live for him. So I really became thirsty for the word. Um, meanwhile, in college, I, mean, I was going as an education major, but I loved writing. So I would just take creative writing classes and different classes like that as like extra, extra credits mm. just for fun. But my real goal was to open up a coffee shop, which I did. I got married at 21, opened up a coffee shop. It was so much fun. (laughs) Um, And I did it with my mom and we went in it together. And it was just a really fun, groovy place. It was called the Mud Puddle. Um, It was an old grain mill in downtown Frederick. It was a funky building. We all the furniture in there was for sale as like antiques. So it was like mismatched. And, um, you know, some of it we like collage the tops with like the comic book section of the newspaper you know we just really fun stuff in there and we had bands coming in and we sold christian books there and sometimes we would have christian bands come play and other times it'd be like classic rock or even country or blues and it was very eclectic um but since we were both believers like we had christian books available and, and stuff like that and people just picked up on that quickly like even though it wasn't like a quote unquote christian coffee shop um people from all different denominations uh, started coming just because mm. it was like a place, I guess, where they felt like their people could be, get to be together. And um, so, you know, I had a Catholic group coming in. I had uh, Methodists and wow. <laughs> Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals, a lot of Pentecostals. And um, so mm. I learned, so I was 21 years old, you know, like I had all these stereotypical ideas about what these denominations were. And I really started learning. At that time, my husband and I had joined a, another Southern Baptist, and it was a church plant. And um, I was asked to teach a women's Bible study. Well, yeah, I'm 21 years old. I wanted to learn from someone else. And um, so I asked my pastor, like, could, could you help, you know, lead? Could the elders help lead me? And they said, yeah. So he gave me this systematic theology book, which I thought, oh, oh I didn't even there know this is. And, and like I can read this as just a regular person and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever mm. it, it, so in this since it was a church plant and some of the coffee shop people were coming you had representatives from each denomination and I'm quickly learning that whoa we need to like do a doctrine of like maybe scripture start with you know just how we're going to read scripture and, and what properties yeah. um it has so I, I went to that in the systematic theology book and I started finding, like, it was very helpful, very well laid out. I was so excited to have it and read it. But then I started finding some kind of contradictions in it. Mm -hmm. 
So I would go to my pastor with those things and he was like, you know, impressed that I'm, but it wasn't just me. These women were, you know, they weren't small talkers. They were all asking hard questions. We had a wonderful conversation. We were growing together. It was a weekly Bible study. Um, So he was like, at first really impressed, but then I could tell, you know, I'd save him for when he checked in on me or whatever. I was trying not to bug him, but um, at one point he kind of laughed at me at one of the questions I asked and just was like, Amy, this is the women's Bible study. Like, you guys don't need to worry your pretty little faces over all these really super hard theological questions. And so I went from feeling very valued and like, you know, we want you to learn this stuff to, well, we don't really, we only expect you to get this far, you know? Yeah. Doctrine of tea making, yes. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, that was the first experience I had to where my eyes were kind of opened a little bit. And meanwhile, my husband also came from a divorced home. So all this biblical manhood and womanhood teaching that was just like really getting pumped out on the radio, Christian radio, and in the bookstores, in the churches. I'm like, this is what I need to learn. You know, like I want to be a good biblical wife. I don't want to get divorced. And um, I want to do this right from the beginning. And um, so I was just soaking it in. And some of the teachers in, in this movement are people that I've really learned from, you know, pastors that I um, appreciated so much of the theology I'd already learned from them. But, um, you know, some areas of it, I'm like, you know, that sounds a little extreme, a little strange. Mm. But I thought, well, who am I? You know, I come from a broken home. I'm in my early 20s. Yeah. So it kind of started there. And um, my husband and I moved a couple years later I sold my half of the coffee shop. So I had that for three years. We moved uh, about an hour away into West Virginia. And that town, um, we started going to the, the Presbyterian church there. And because um, we figured out that, you know, we don't think we're Baptists. We think we're Presbyterians. So we'll try that out here while we're here. And so we're going to Presbyterian church. Um, my kids, the school district there, it was like uh, the Andy Griffith show, like Mayberry. Like it, it was <laughs> Christian town still, you know, Uh, the principal invited us to his church. They still celebrated Christmas and stuff. And uh, it was a wonderful school system. And basically everyone in town went to church, but these were more um, kind of Bible belt churches. It seemed like uh, (laughs) fundamentalists a little bit. Uh, They had a very high view of Christian morality, but uh, it was more of a social Christianity. Like they had no theology. Oh, wow. behind it. Now I'm not saying my Presbyterian church so much, but uh, um, mm-hmm. all my kids, friends, parents, and, and um, the conversations I'm having, I'm, I'm finding myself lonely now as a mm-hmm. thinker. Yeah. Uh, and that was a hard place for me to be because I was doing a lot of reading at the time, um, trying to grow myself. And yet I had no other, you know, women, especially to talk to about it in the circles I was in. Yeah. So that led me to write my first book, which really I was hoping would be a tool for women to see like, hey, what we believe about God is really important. Everyone is a theologian. Yeah. Um, let's take that seriously and not be bad theologians. Yeah. And <laughs> this go. affects our everyday life. So um, that's, you know, it was kind of 12 chapters, one per month for a study to try to get women thinking and taking theology more serious. And what was the title of that book? So that was called Housewife Theologian. And I was kind of trying to make something that sounds like an oxymoron um, go together. Like, you know, you can, here I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, um, saying like that 
we're all theologians. What we believe about God affects our everyday life. And it's important for women. So, um, you know, when I was writing it, I was really shy about it because you tell somebody that you're writing a book and they look at you like you're trying out for American Idol or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept it to myself, you know. <laughs> and, and it just turned out that, you know, I, I was researching publishers and, you know, ones that I thought I'd be compatible with. And, and I was able to get a contract and... From there, I think at the time it was just like really timely because there were other women feeling the same hunger. Yeah. yeah, and still too, I talk to women all the time and, you know, they're tired of the women's Bible study. They're tired of, you know, just because you don't learn anything often. Exactly. So, um, and that, that ended up giving me a lot of opportunities that I never had any ambition for, but just have um, since then led me to have a lot more questions, a lot more books that you know, I don't see out there that I would love to learn from or explore. And so I ended up writing them. And um, I've, I've been given a lot of speaking opportunities, both in, in churches, church groups and conferences, and then also with um, leadership, which has been really, uh, it's been really interesting, you know, (laughs) just stuff that I just never, you know, had an ambition for, but you know, if I had the opportunity, I just felt like the Lord was calling me there. So I I did it. And man, have I learned a lot. I've really learned a lot. And it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit. Um, just for the rest of you guys, um, just so you know where we're going to go. Um, today, Amy's going to talk about leadership for the other 98% and <laughs> find out more about what that means. Um, we're also going to talk about friendship in the body of Christ, bridge building, and finally, um, touching on the topic of, I would say, abuse, it's going to be the yellow wallpaper. And you will find out why Amy was viciously attacked for critiquing the yellow wallpaper. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, <laughs> actually, we say do it, but... Um, <laughs> just put yeah. your boxing gloves on. Yeah, yeah. Just, just make sure to bring your boxing gloves, because <laughs> there are creepy people out there. Um, speaking of which, um, because um, we're only going to say this because there are creepy people out there that, would, that will misconstrue things. Um, Amy, are you an egalitarian? I'm not an egalitarian. I appreciate so many of my egalitarian friends. I've learned a lot from egalitarians. I've come to learn that, uh, you know, despite what I was taught in a lot of my complementarian churches, there are many, many, many uh, wonderful egalitarians who uphold the authority of scripture the same way that we do. Um, but have, you know, different interpretations, which are, you know, a lot of them are plausible. And have stretched me and challenged me and I've learned a lot from. So I, yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate that. And although I'm not there as an egalitarian, um, I'm, I'm very thankful to be able to read widely and yeah. learn from them. Yeah, we appreciate just the charitable way that you represent egalitarians as well. And just, are you within the, you said the OPC denomination or? Yeah, so I'm in the OPC, a Presbyterian denomination, um, which is, I guess, quote unquote, complementarian. Um, I prefer to call myself confessional. You know, I, I subscribe, or, you know, I pulled the Westminster Confession of Faith, which my church does. Um, and I think that those boundaries are good enough, you know, to say, yeah. like, this is what I believe. Um, and, you know, I try to write within those boundaries, which I find very helpful. And um, because I do believe, it, and I write about that in my last book, just that the whole movement 
of complementarianism, well, it is a movement. It's, it's pretty yeah. contemporary, you know, and it's about 30 years old. And there's just so much biblical error attached to it. And, and I think it's frankly dangerous for the church. And that's why yeah. I don't like to call myself a complementarian either. Yeah, because there's a, a whole movement out there. And we'll, we'll get into that too, because okay. that's, a, that's an interesting subject in itself. <laughs> um, so yeah, so first, um, what it, I, I know um, in, in several in your book, and I've heard, I think you mentioned this elsewhere, you talk about leadership for the other 98%. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so pretty much all my writing has been for, I mean, I do have in mind church leadership while I'm writing, because I think, and we'll get to that later, the importance of bridge building is so important there, um, that we shouldn't be separate all the time. But uh, my, my desire in writing has always been about discipleship. And I've always wanted to you know, learn more as a disciple and, and what is it that disciples do? Where are we discipled? You know, where's the primary responsibility for that? What does that look like? Um, so in my writing, I really am trying to address you know, 98%, the rest of the 98% of us who aren't church leaders, especially when you're talking about this complementarian, egalitarian stuff, like the, the top the conversation is always about what women can do um, mm-hmm. and, and who can be leaders in the like ordained in the church, I should say. But there's so many other types of leaders. There's so much other types of teaching. We all have a responsibility to communicate our faith well and to pass that down to the next generation and and to promote one another's holiness. So um, that's what I want to talk about. It's like, what is happening with the 98% of us? And I think that's important for both lay people and for church officers to be reading and learning and, and discussing because um, if we keep that flatlined at just who can be here and who can be here, you know, who's above the line, and who's below the line, yeah. um, we're talking about a very small percentage of people in the church. And the rest of us really um, have some questions about shepherding and discipleship. And, and I think that church leaders, you know, ordained ones do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a sense too, as well with, um, I think it seems to, and I think what you're also getting at, if I can, toss this in here is the idea of the exaltation of the minister uh, to a point where he or she or he uh, mm-hmm. is in a place of being, uh, I, w- I want to be very careful with how I say this. Uh, that person is kind of seen as the face of the church without yeah. realizing that there's a whole mind, that there's a body, literally a body behind it. And that yes. this body while needing a face, perhaps, mm-hmm still need is still not basically there's a body that needs to be fed there's a body that needs to be active and moving and if we kind of to pull paul's metaphor of you know first corinthians 12 there's a massive body to this that has many members and these members need to be involved because they're intricately tied to the body yeah right like you're kind of pushing against the idea of while there is a sense of leadership but Mm -hmm, that leadership is not at the expense of others. And I mean, for example, not everyone can afford to go to seminary, but right. everyone can be educated. And maybe right. And, and, and that is, I think a huge distinction that we're having trouble with too, yeah. kind of building off of what you're saying is um, what's happening during worship and who's doing what there, but then everything else involved in discipleship and like, I think discipleship begins with the sacraments, the preached word. And, you know, it begins there sitting under the word. Um, and the sacraments, 
but then there's a fruit that overflows from that, right? And, and the body of Christ is working there. Um, so when we, when we walk out of corporate worship, what's going on? And I think we confuse a lot of the time, like a conference or a school even, or any you know, different parachurch ministries, even Sunday school, as if that is corporate worship and carries the same sort of authority and, and things like that. And, and it, it doesn't. So um, what role do lay people have in those things? Um, you know, there's a lot of different questions to this, I believe. And then when you get to seminary, like, like you mentioned, um, or even, you know, I'm Presbyterian, so even like presbytery, or if you're um, Anglican or whatever, the diocese meetings and stuff like that, um, the whole point isn't for, you know, academics to be talking to one another the whole time. Yeah, forever. The whole <laughs> point is for it to trickle down to people like me, you know? That's the whole point is for that fruit to overflow onto us and for us to then be elevated and growing and, and being able to use that knowledge in our own lives. So um, I think sometimes that connection is being missed now and I'm all for theological precision. I think that's important, but um, and you know, the pastor's job particularly is to be able to connect that to the regular person Mm -hmm. sitting in the pew, man and woman brother and sister. So um, I, I don't think that we should not use those terms, but you know, how can we communicate well? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And it sounds like um, a lot of um, just reading some of your, your work that your understanding of leadership is very teleological and towards yeah. a common mission. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I do. I, um, and I, you know, especially when you're talking about friendship between the sexes, even, and just how we relate in the church, I think that so often we talk as if uh, we're still under the reign of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not, we're under the reign of grace. And, and we're set on this mission um, of eternal communion with the triune God and one another. That is amazing. And we have, in union with Christ, we have his Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Um, empowering us to be able to obey his word, to be producing um, the fruit of holiness in our lives. And so we live under the reign of grace as Christians. Mm -hmm. And so I think that so much of the way that we view one another, the way that we would want to learn, if we are just putting our eyes on our goal, which Mm -hmm. is this eternal communion embodied in resurrected bodies, how does that affect the way that we live? How does that affect the way that we worship? How does that affect the way that we view leadership? Because leadership then isn't this power over, you know, in this hierarchical um, ruling as much as it is this power too. It's, it's, they're the first to sacrifice. They're the first to serve. They're the first to lay down their lives um, for the body of Christ, for the bride. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of that in, in the symbols of manhood and womanhood, too, even with uh, man being created first. And, and we see what happens before Eve is created. Um, he's put down, you know, a part of his bone is taken out to create Eve. And he's created from the dirt. Um, but Eve is not created from the dirt. She's not created from the earth. She's, she's, something is taken from Adam's side. And God creates Eve that way. And so when Adam sees Eve, I mean, I really believe that he, she is an eschatological marker. And I would so agree he, with that part, yeah. yeah, he <laughs> sees the, the, the bride of Christ, the church flowing from Christ's side 
um, what a picture it is of, you know, Christ leaving his home, his father, you know, in the incarnation um, to give his life for his bride. So um, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we need to think more teleologically like that as well. Um, and that order, he's the first to love. Mm-hmm. And, and that carries with it service and sacrifice and, and covenant, you know, so many things. And, and then there's this beautiful reciprocity that happens mm-hmm. um, in dignity of personhood of both of them. But yeah, so I, I really do have this more eschatological view. Now, I don't want to, um, I don't want to downplay um, sin and, and the effects of sin and the struggles that we still have in the flesh. That's important. But I think the best way to, to do that is to rightly orient our desires, you know, in Christ and, and where we are headed. Yeah. And if we're able to like, I mean, when we do that and just the way, you know, God empowers us in our everyday lives, it will affect how we perceive others. Like, yes, um, Ingrid Farrow, uh, we just had on last time and she was talking about how um, in the Bible, uh, evil in particular um, will blind individuals that they can't actually Mm. perceive correctly. They can't perceive others correctly. Yeah. And I think when God kind of animates us, you know, we can see things very differently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's when we're, when we're blinded by sin or, or even just blinded by our own privileges or whatever they are, um, we reduce things. We reduce people even. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the time we do need people from the margins to help us have the eyes to see some things that we don't see. But um, sin is always terribly reductionistic. Yes. And, yes. and, you know, God is so much more c- complex and, and that's so much more beautiful. Yeah. And I, I really think beauty is an eschatological interaction and concept because, you know, we're getting a, something that we're longing to see more of yeah. in, its, in its fullness. Yeah. And I mean, Jesus came and became marginalized. So, you know, how yeah. we're going to treat people that are marginalized, is going to be how we treat Jesus. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And so thinking and what you said about sin being a reductionistic, it almost seems like that that's a good ontology of sin right there is to reduce to the very easy. So yeah. as to bring forth, you know, uh, you know, sin giving way to death and all those sorts of things. And, uh, and it almost seems like the church as the, the body of Christ, the other, say the other 98%, uh, mm-hmm removing that sort of sinness from a relationship and, and having that spirited um, reciprocity of caring, of listening and the, the fruits of the spirit mm-hmm. uh, that almost seems to flow into the idea of, of friendship between the sexes, but that friendship being not merely a, we tolerate each other because we're men and women or, you know, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, uh, you, you can be over there, but I can never be alone with you or oh, this or, or those sorts of kind of things, which is itself reductionistic and playing on. Sin. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, but how can the church foster and cultivate a, a genuine friendship that sees the other as someone worthy of listening, of hearing, of talking mm-hmm. and of the joy of being together? You know, I, I, how can we begin as a church uh, through what you've been writing and thinking about and meditating on? How can we kind of incorporate that into the life of the church? Well, I think that uh, we really do need to have a good theological anthropology there. Um, and this biblical manhood and womanhood movement is so reductionistic. And it, I, I'm convinced it takes away the personhood of woman. Yeah, agreed. And, yeah. and so we need to be able to view one another 
much more holistically. And the very first thing in that is that we need to see men and women as gift. I think uh, Pope John Paul II just has some really good teaching in his theology of the body on, um, on, on men and women as gift. And uh, I think it was Seneca who said, Christina Pohl uh, quotes from him in her book on hospitality and on accepting a gift that you should never accept something in private that you wouldn't be able to accept in front of the whole town. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and there's something in, in the way you receive a gift. It shows your gratitude for it. Hmm. Um, and so if the women in the church are a gift from God um, to help promote the holiness and, and femininity is for masculinity, masculinity for femininity. Like I learn about being a sister um, not only from other sisters, but also from my brothers. Mm. So um, what a gift that is. I learned even more about myself as a woman from the men in the church. Um, mm. and, and there's relationship involved there. I think that we need to know our status first and foremost as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, we're not even going to be marrying. We're not going to be given a marriage. I'm not even going to be having babies, which... <laughs> you know, taught here is like the ultimate, you know, aim for womanhood, um, which is, you know, a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I think that points to the fruit, the fruitfulness of life and overflowingness of life from, from union, you know, this picture of Christ and his bride. So I am going to be a sister. I'm still going to be a sister. Like, I think that is an eternal way of looking at one another uh, as brothers and as sisters even uh, Song of Songs, um, when Christ, or the bridegroom, who you know, I see as representing Christ, um, says to the bride, when he tells her how beautiful she is, he calls her my sister, my bride. And I really do think that's the first and the last way that we look at one another as, mm-hmm. as brothers and sisters. So um, I think that's a very important for us to nail down. Um, Paul says that to Timothy, you know, in pastoral advice to treat the women as sisters, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in all purity. He doesn't go on to say how you treat a sister. Why is that? Because we know, we know that. Like there's so many things answered there yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, you know, ancient siblingship was, you know, a bit more valued, I think, than we, we value it today. Yeah. Um, but in the rights and the privileges that come with it. Um, so that's a fascinating thing to study. But, um, you know, brothers and sisters were more valued than wives and husbands because, you know, you could go through wives and husbands, you could have kids, you know, with another husband even, but um, if you lose your brother, that's it. So I I do think the way we look at each other is very important. And do you think something that plays into it uh, is a sense in which and I, I want to say that I think this is unwittingly or unintentionally, but I think it, it does play a factor into it, is the idea of the ob- objectification of the other person's, at least in terms of, well, for guys, it's usually body. Although I don't mm-hmm. think that's it. I think we've discovered through science and just basic stuff, social sciences. It's like, no, this happens both ways. Do you mm-hmm. think the objectification of the other at this mm-hmm. point flows into, the, of course, the, what you mentioned of a faulty anthropology, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. is itself... Um, oddly cultural for people that say they are not, we don't capitulate to the culture. (laughs) If you get what I'm. Absolutely. Um, 
I kind of say that you know here we wanted to uh, we wanted to teach we wanted to have a teaching that would help in the sexual revolution to combat those thinking, but that thinking. But I believe that so much of the teaching in the church is just the other side of the same coin. Yeah. Um, we've taken our theology from when Harry met Sally <laughs> and we believe that men and women can never be friends because the sex part gets in the way. And so in saying that right there, we're denying where we're headed. We're denying what we were created for. We're actually denying the gospel too, because if we're saying that our gospel message is that Christ um, loves his bride, loves his church, loves his people so much that he gave his very life and all who believe in him will have everlasting life. If we confess uh, like the Apostles' Creed with the Apostles' Creed that uh, we believe in the communion of the saints and we want to give this gospel news um, to the unbelieving world, but then we say, however, we can't even be friends with the opposite sex because mm -hmm. of sin, the sex part always gets in the way, then we're saying there is no power to our message at all to transform us. There's no power to be able to see one another the way Christ sees us. And Sounds that's like just sin not true. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's that, that dangerous. And, um, you know, sin is horrible. Sin is strong. And I'm not saying let's just pretend, you know, but I think the more that we learn the right way to view one another, um, the more that sin will matter to us as well, because we're going to see the whole beauty of personhood, uh, not just the body, but the mind <laughs> and the soul and the Holy Spirit in that person. Um, when we realize we're looking at eternal beings, I think we'll take sin more seriously as well. Yeah. And, you know, avoiding one another isn't actually purity. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And that isn't actually growing in purity. No. Um, it's not growing in our relationships with one. Or is it safe, actually? <laughs> Exactly. It's not. So I do think that we are teaching the same thing as the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do you see your role? And I mean, we got a little bit of this in your, I would say in your story too. Um, mm -hmm. How would you, how would you relate your calling and bridge building? Cause I see that you do. I, I mean, I can see from my end that you do a lot of bridge building. I mean, you're on an egalitarian show. That's true. With Mike, <laughs> you make your props. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty ecumenical here too, but the, yeah. For some people, this would be a no-no. Like, you don't right. associate with them. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, it is a no-no in a lot of ways. Um, and it's interesting because I never looked at myself as like, I want to be a bridge builder, you know? Yeah. Um, I just saw a need with the first book and thought that would help me communicate better. Um, and then, so I got invited to, be, to do a podcast uh, with a professor and a pastor, Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, which I did for seven years. And um, I think that it was interesting because when I first, it was like right when my first book came out, um, they interviewed me, they invited me to come co-host the podcast. Um, and then the letters started coming in. Like, you can't do this. Huh. Uh, uh, you can't have this woman. <laughs> you can't model this to the reformed world where I live. Uh, this is unsafe. Uh, it was very interesting to get some of the reactions in the letters coming in uh, to Ace, who, who did the podcast. And then, um, you know, one of them from pretty respectable pastor said, it would be different if she uh, weighed 300 pounds and had a mustache. You know, so part of that, you know, that led to me writing a friendship book a little bit. But um, yeah. so I didn't see myself as, oh, I'm, you know, going to build these opportunities. But um, it just, it's the opportunities came. Yeah. And so 
since I was doing this and it became a pretty popular podcast, we had a pretty uh, big listenership. We would get invited to do um, different conference interviews and stuff like that. Um, and, and with my continuing writing that I was doing, I was just meeting a lot more people, a lot more academics, a lot more pastors, Mm. um, and building relationships with them. And, but I'm at the time with, you know, most of my speaking engagements were going into women's ministries and churches and it's the same thing. Every time I go, you know, the women would be like, we are so desirous and thirsty for something meatier in our theology and and we feel like we're over you know just kind of kept at arm's length from the rest of the church and there's just there's no investing in us there's no intercommunication between the men and the women theologically speaking like we don't feel like we're in the heart of the church um in in the thought life and the creative life um and contributing in that way and we don't feel equipped enough to teach even in our own women's ministry that we're in yeah and they wanted to communicate well to the leadership However, they either felt ignored um, or they felt like they were causing trouble and they Mm -hmm. really didn't want to cause trouble. Yeah. That's not what they wanted. And so you see this everywhere I'm going, I'm seeing this. Or pastors themselves emailing me in like, oh, I just found out that our women's ministry is doing this book study of this such and such book. And I know it's got a lot of theological error in it. And so I told them that, but they're like halfway through and they're mad at me now. And it's <laughs> what do I do? You know, so I'm hearing from both ends in some ways, um, which really re- led me to write my book, No Little Women. Um, but so I get these opportunities and I'm seeing that there is this gap. Yeah. There's this huge gap. And I'm thinking, wow, we have so many resources. Like I might not have an opportunity to go to seminary myself, um, which, you know, something I would love to do, but I'm also got two kids in college right now. So yeah. And my husband was going to school still. So, um, you know, what great opportunities there are free to watch so many, uh, you know, you can audit so many classes online for nothing. Um, you can also, you know, pay small fees to do that. The books coming out like in academia are so good. Like we can read them too. I learned that at the very beginning. Hey, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's not just for academics. So I really try in the footnoting of my books. Um, and it's funny because my second book, Theological Fitness, this one person who reviewed it for like a more academic website or whatever was like, mm-hmm. I don't recommend Bird's book. The people that she uh, footnotes are way better than she is. And I'm like, well, duh. That's why, That's why you footnoted <laughs> I'm hoping they go read the other people. But um, I am. I'm trying to be this, you know, in-between step here to help um, – stretch the minds and, and encourage and um, motivate, you know, lay people like me to um, learn more. And then also to kind of, with the opportunities that I've been given, I can also go upstairs and have a conversation now and say like, hey, these are the needs in the church right now. This is what I'm hearing all over the place. Um, you know, there's some really messed up stuff going on. So I, I'm trying to also say, um, let me let me talk about some of that with you. And I haven't like tried to insert myself into that, but I've again, been given some opportunities. Like, you know, I was asked to speak at a presbytery, um, which was about 80 church leaders in the area on equipping women in the church. 
Um, and it was a very positive experience. I've, I've gone to an Anglican diocese four day retreat and gotten to speak on similar issues. Mm. Um, and, the, and that's interesting too, because in the ACNA, there's kind of some mixed beliefs on men and women in the church and leadership. Yeah. So they, you know, had represented both there. And um, so, man, I really learned a lot there myself and got to give four talks. Um, and then, you know, I've also been able to, to speak at seminary level too, just on preaching to women. And because so often um, what I'm finding is pastors will be, you know, into their pastorate and not even realize they're not connecting with over half the people sitting in the pew. Yeah. And they've just never really, it was a total blind spot. So it's just so I've been given lots of great opportunities that I didn't even like knew existed or that I was looking for, but, um, okay, well, I'm invited to come. I guess I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're really good at kind of bringing voices that aren't heard, um, forward. I try to do that because, you know, I find there's a lot of interesting voices and, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm sure you have some different, um, popular authors and conference speakers and academics in your circles than are in mine. And it was kind of nice for me to reach across it and see, see what's going on over there. But you also get tired of like the same voices over yeah. and over. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then you also, it's all become so prepackaged. Yes. And, and so I just find that there's a lot of interesting voices out there and, and a lot of times they're not the best sellers, but, um, true. Yeah. 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 I'd say like a lot of the people that do get through, um, oftentimes fill, fill a niche, which, you know, sometimes that's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes too, it's more, they fit into certain like package, like you were saying, like that people are looking for. Um, Right. And so we keep hearing the same scripts over and over and over again. And I don't know in your circles is, it's probably not as big of an issue, but especially for the women in in my circles, like, um, there's only certain things that you're allowed to, that they, you know, they're invisible fences in some ways of yeah. what you're allowed to, to talk about. And then also who you're allowed to talk to and, and, and write to. Um, and you even see that in the book covers. But, you know, I'll see so many books written by women in complementarian circles. And it'll be, you know, it could be about a book of a Bible, but it's for women. Yeah. Or, um, you know, a, a certain theological issue for women. And yeah. I, sometimes there's, you know, there's benefit to, to being exclusive like that. Sure. But other times I think, you know, that person I know could really write well to a wide audience. Yeah. Um, why are we doing that? Yeah. So, yeah. In line with that, it, I, you just reminded me of something. I, I wrote a, a small book and I, I, I sent it to a bunch of people. Just here's a PDF. Just tell me what you think. Do you like it? Do you not like it? You know, kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I got feedback from someone who got a, a woman who I've never met and it got forwarded to me or she got the email forwarded to her by a friend of mine who mm-hmm. trusted her and sent it to her. And she wrote me this really nice email and I'm sitting there going like, I was not sitting there thinking this is a theology book for men or for women. But the fact that a woman noticed stuff about it that yeah. I'm like, I never would have thought of that was just very, it, it feels weird to say, but I'm like, I was very affirmed by that. And I told her, so mm-hmm. I was very moved by that. Yeah, that's encouraging, isn't and it? It's one of those, yeah, where you just kind of like, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a theology book for women. I mean, those are helpful. Theology book mm-hmm. for men, that could be helpful. But I think we forget that if you write a book for people, 
for there, people. For people. <laughs> that, human beings. That, that people, yeah. that anyone can read it. Yeah. And yeah. you'll never know. And I think you and I and all, all, all these people who write and kind of think, we forget that a lot of people read our stuff and are impacted by it. And maybe that's a gift of the spirit in some sort of invisible, well, not invisible, but, you know, thing we'll never know. And so, I don't know, I just find that encouraging, just that, um, what you said, just the idea of, no, this it's a book for people. Read the book. A book for people. Uh, we'll, we'll do a new book, and it'll be titled A Book for Humans. <laughs> a book for humans. There we go. We'll put, it's we'll, a, it's we'll right as Barkley. Or Kat. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real barrier, I think, for women authors. Yeah. Um, and, and who they can market to. Even. Yeah, we're the ones that get sectioned off. It's, it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have to tell really people. really do. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, just, it's a shame because, you know, I even in, in recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood, I kind of look at the Bible itself, which clearly wasn't written for men, you know, only or for women only. There's no men's section and women's section. There's very few verses in scripture that even directly address didactically, you know, men and women, just a small percentage. And they're not the theological sections of scripture, really. Um, it's more just kind of applicatory stuff. Yeah. Um, the one another's in scripture are not, you know, the virtues there aren't, aren't gendered. <laughs> so the brothers and sisters in the household, which is, you know, uh, Paul uses this term, uh, siblinghood addressing brothers and sisters more than any other thing he calls yeah. the church by far. Um, but then even when you look at uh, the Old Testament itself, when you think, okay, just the patriarchal society that it is written during the time that it's written yeah. um, over all the, all the years. Um, the fact that you know, barely anyone was educated, but particularly women, you know, women, yeah. very few, you know, unless they're extremely wealthy and, and everything. Um, when we see the function of the woman's voice and how the man uses it in, in the old Testament, it's truly fascinating. Like, you know, starting right in Genesis. I mean, like there's plenty of examples, but right now I'm thinking of like Shifra and Pua, um, the midwives, we have that whole story. Yes. And we don't even know the name of the Pharaoh. Yeah. And, but we true. know their that's names. Point. Yeah. And yet it's because, how yeah. do we even know that story? Because they told it, you know, they were active traditioners. They were tradents of the faith. They were listened to and their story was recorded. And now it is in scripture. And you see that over and over again, this, uh, which I think is, is a, a beautiful reciprocity um, between the male and female voice, but the female voice often tells the story behind the story. Um, and they make visible what's, uh, invisible oftentimes in a patriarchal culture. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think cause a lot of women, um, know what it's like to be invisible and yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's always the, the speech and visibility that gets interestingly attacked in any, I would say discrimination scenario. Yeah. Um, curious thing and you know not just for gender so exactly interesting how that is so on that vein um it sounds like you didn't like the yellow wallpaper um (laughs) and people were taken a little far um what's the yellow wallpaper and why are people so um uh obsessively creepy about it (laughs) yeah so um the yellow wallpaper itself is a book written in the 19th century um, Charlene Perkins Gilman. And it's a, a very short, I don't even know if it's like appropriate to call it a novella. It's so short. 
Hmm. But um, basically she suffered from severe postpartum depression in her real life. Um, And that was not a diagnosis at the time, but there was this like nervous disorder that was being diagnosed at the time called neurasthenia. And the treatment was, and so it was basically diagnosed because they believed that the modern times, like, you know, some people's bodies just couldn't keep up with the modern times. Mm. So for women and for men, there were totally different uh, therapy for it. So the men are told to like go out West and ride horses, do push-ups and manly stuff and socialize. And the women are told to be completely indoors, not participating Mm. in anything intellectually, like completely domesticated um, and no social life. And so this is what she's given, this rest therapy by her doctor. And she was a writer. She was, a, you know, more of an intellectual mind. And it, it drove her even more mad. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had the, the, the brain capacity still to realize that this is making me worse. And um, so she ends up writing this novella, which is just, it's a bit disturbing. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, you know, the same themes, except for this, it's this woman's husband. And she's kind of journaling this stream of conscious in this story. And um, he takes her to this um, kind of abandoned uh, old house for them to, to live for a couple of months for her rest therapy. And, and he's actually a pediatrician in the story. Mm. So he's like trying to care for her. However, her voice has never heard that, mm. you know, she wants to write, she wants to see her child, she wants to do these things. And instead, she's made to stay in this room. And it's covered with this very disturbing yellow wallpaper. Parts of it are ripped down and there's just these confusing lines that tend to like strangle each other and you don't know where they're going. And so the woman in the story becomes like fixated on this, like obsessively on this yellow wallpaper. And her husband keeps telling her, you know, stop talking about it. And um, to the point where she's going more and more crazy and she thinks that there's a woman stuck behind all these lines and yellow wallpaper. And it's Mm. her job to let this woman free. Yeah. And so the wallpaper itself kind of stands for the patriarchal structures that are suffocating her in her own mental health and physical health. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so her ripping down the wallpaper is kind of an, an empowering thing. And, but at the end, she's completely mad. And the husband is like shocked the way that he finds her. And when I read it, I thought, okay, now I'm not, Clearly, we're not as bad as the Victorian age. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm a really long way. I'm not married to anyone like this, you know, um, at all. Yeah. But I, I saw the yellow wallpaper as just, you know, as a writer, I just saw it as a great metaphor for the blind spots that we still have. Because, you know, I come from the Reformed Church, and we believe that the church is reformed, but always reforming. Like, mm-hmm. we're always going to have to look back to scripture. There's always going to be sin coming in in our own thought processes even. And so we always have to be examining it. So I kind of use this yellow wallpaper as a metaphor of the blind spots that are in the church today that we don't even notice is in there. And so I try to point it out. And then in each chapter, I have kind of like a peel and reveal because if oh, we... And this is in uh, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Correct? Yes, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So you guys should check that out. Um, yeah. I, I recommend like all of you guys... Yeah, and if we peel it away, it's not going to be some ugly wall behind it or even some scary woman that is fictional, <laughs> but that, you know, there's going to be something really beautiful in scripture. Um, so that part, you know, to me, it's more of an invitation to something much more rich and something yeah. much more beautiful that move the church forward. Yeah. However, because a feminist, so this woman, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, was a feminist. She was an active feminist uh, yeah. after all this. And 
I certainly wouldn't support everything that she did, sure. but um, I, you know, I'm being under fire a little bit, I guess you could say for using this yeah. uh, metaphor. Yeah. So what, so what happened? Um, it like, again, from any outside view, um, it seems extremely obsessed that they're extremely obsessed with you um, in very bizarre, creepy ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, it looks like classic abuse uh, to me. Um, so in, in your own words, um, briefly, I know it's hard to sometimes consolidate. Um, it's it's but, hard to consolidate too, because yeah. there's, there's different extremes and levels to this. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah. I am directly, my book's called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is a direct, you know, yeah. uh, a direct challenge to the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood's Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood yeah. book. Yeah. Um, so I expect some pushback for sure. Yeah. Um, sure, pushback. Yeah. Yeah. You would critique expect perhaps <laughs> yeah. even. Yeah. However, and, and so there is different levels of that. Some of it, I'm just getting like serious critique and you know, okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, but then, yeah, then it'll be thrown in there that I'm using like a feminist, uh, metaphor. Well, it's not a feminist metaphor, you know, a, a feminist writer, you, you know, use this yellow wallpaper in her book and, and I'm borrowing a metaphor, but you know, writers do that all the time. It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, this radical feminist. Yeah. And that's a dismissive term, by the way, for our it's listeners. Very, it's very dismissive. Yeah. Like, it's the same with like liberal and other labels. They use yeah, it. Yeah, like she's a feminist, you don't have to read her. Yeah. Um, and so they poison the well with that. And, um, and you know, even using, since they put the word biblical in front of manhood and womanhood, then that supposedly makes it so. So therefore, I'm not biblical. Sure. Um, for challenging their teaching, but there is a, a much more hostile group <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that they've really honest, they've been harassing me for about three years now. So before this book, Sorry. came out. but, um, and they are, they think that I am like leading my denomination. Like I can't well, believe, like to believe the it. power they assigned to me. I can't even believe and the influence they think I oh, have. Of course. I'm leading the whole denomination into quote unquote liberalism and, um, all kinds of accusations, but you know, they're calling me wicked and ungodly and Jezebel dangerous. They're calling ahead of my speaking engagements. They're yeah. So they're sabotaging they're, they're, my Amazon page. Yeah. They're, they're going into your real life. They're not just like being, I don't know, they it, troll everyone on the internet. They're platform me. Yeah. And, and they're, they're bullies. You're right. And they, oftentimes have anonymous accounts. Some of them now do not, but, um, and, and unfortunately, and, and this is the most disturbing troubling part is that there's a lot of church officers involved in this group. So, yeah. um, that for me is like, that's where the, the word abuse I think is appropriate then because you're, it's spiritual abuse when you are in a position of power and, and you use that to revile and harass yeah. um, somebody. Yeah, they go after your, you know, your job, or, or I would say your vocation is better yeah. put, and mm -hmm. um, your character, you know, tracking mm -hmm. down, I, I saw that they were tracking down, like, everywhere you would speak, you were saying, like, everywhere you would speak ahead of time, mm -hmm. you know, getting into your personal life. Or um, if anybody, like, you know, since you're an egalitarian podcast, you won't get it, but, like, complementarians who host me will get, you know, they'll get the... Um, trolls on social media and, and all this other stuff, they get punished for it. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, yeah. It, it, the, uh, I mean, they can, but whatever, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, 
yeah. I, I remember like reading some of, and some of you guys can like hear more on the Roy's report, um, specifically June 29th, 2020. That's a, the Roy's report is another podcast um, where Amy shares a little bit more about um, some of the weird stuff, but it's, it's one of those things too. I was noticing that well, something I, okay. So going, switching tracks a bit, something I really liked um, hearing, you know, about how you were kind of dealing with some of this is yeah, you're calling for some consequences Mm -hmm. and uh, you you did call some of these um, people out as cowards. Um, And I think that's, I think that's great. Um, I think so often the terms forgiveness and grace get misapplied. um, And when people need to be called to a higher calling that, you know, is the calling Mm -hmm. for all of us. Yeah. I would love to have reconciliation and forgiveness. Yeah. Um, But in order to do that properly, there has to be ownership of what they're doing. You know, there has to be an acknowledgement of the sin. And there has to be um, a reaching out then in that way, uh, a true apology. <laughs> and yeah. honestly, they, they think they're in a holy war. So oh, yeah. it doesn't matter how you treat people. And um, yeah. they're, they're actually gatekeeping the church yeah. and protecting the church. So it's very concerning. Um, but then yeah. their whole theology is, is very, it's troubling. They have this ontology of male authority. Yeah. And an ontology of, you know, female subordination and, and our very being were created like that. And so, you know, they talk about how women don't even have the capability of being as logical as men. Oops. That's yeah. probably why they don't like you. Because <laughs> like, oh, wait, here's someone that's logical. Uh, yeah, can't have that. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be writing like I am, you know. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. just their whole, there's, it's a very patriarchal, yeah. Theology. Yeah. It was like the amount of attention. So like that they're giving you seems to undermine their, um, I, I would say attempts, you know, it's kind of, and I've been in scenarios, you know, like this before, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they spend so much time trying to like, um, make you believe that you're stupid, you know, that mm-hmm. you're incompetent, you know, that you're the, but it's like, why, why spend so much time? Like, right. Yeah. I, and here's the thing for me, <laughs> this is basic yeah. Christianity 101. Uh, yeah. Love God and love your neighbor. And yeah. so if, if you're having an issue, you know, if you're going to talk to a sister in the faith who yeah. is writing within the same bounds of the same confessions that they subscribe to as church officers, um, there's just, there's no way you should be able to treat somebody like that. Um, no. I, you know, I, I should be called out for treating somebody like that just as a regular lay person, yeah. and especially then as a writer, I would say. And then, so for them as in a position of spiritual authority, um, you know, I really think that carries a lot more weight yeah. to, what, to what they're saying. I mean, we're already told in First Corinthians, I think it's 5.11, but I could be wrong, not even to associate with people who call themselves brothers and sisters. And then he goes down the list are, you know, um, idolaters or yeah. are sexually immodest. And then another word he uses is revilers. Yeah. That's verbal abuse. Like, yes. so we're not even yes. to associate with them yep. if they call themselves Christians and are verbal abusers. Yeah. And that's what, okay. So that's something that's bothered me for a while. And I think it's anyone who's like experienced like abusive situations um, because it's, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's more than just the individuals that are targeting you. It's all the people around that enable and kind of participate too. So some of them just kind of stand back, you know, let let the wolves come after you. Others, they kind of have this nice 
veneer, but act extremely isolating and destructively, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I know, I think that's the worst part about, about it all, honestly, Uh, you know, that uh, the abusers are horrible, but um, it's the culture that they're in that where they're able and able to do it. That it's, it's the worst part. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, it's, it's not so much uh, the attacks from our enemies that are as bad as it is the silence of our friends. Silence of our friends, yeah. And, and, I, and I really feel like that's where you feel the most betrayal and the most um, unloving protection and care. Um, and, and that's the most painful part of it, honestly. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, I, the, um, I, I don't remember her name, but the founder of the MEND, Pro- Mend Project um, also said something along those lines. Um, yeah. They termed the, um, they coined the term, I think, double abuse. Um, and mm. they, for most survivals, uh, survivors of any kind of abuse, it's the way, it's the, the second, you know, form of abuse from the uh, context and the yeah. that is, hits the most, you know. Right. And, and these are just basic things. Like, yeah. nobody has to really deliberate over whether or not this is wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So. Oh, well, they, they'll they come up with all sorts of deliberations, like, you know, kind of dissecting, oh, well, you know, these guys are just jerks, Amy, you should yeah. just ignore them. And parse, you know, they parse the comments and, oh, yeah. and things like that. But you, oh, yeah. when you see everything, you're like, oh, wow, this is like a huge um, culture of abuse. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you know, they say things in there, like, if my husband really loved me, he'd make me shut up. Sure. And make memes of me as a transgender woman <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff yeah and it's, it's this isn't just like one person you know somewhere it, this is like constant and you know that i mean that's harassment that yeah that's just how it works it just keeps yeah keep that keeps getting yeah i mean yeah. it did make me think you know do i want to even continue um is this even worth it uh if if you're just writing about discipleship makes people just mad. I know. Um, But then there's a part of me too that I feel like absolutely I need to follow through with this, you know, and and I even want my children to see like, you know, well, if these are my convictions um, and and I believe that they're biblical and um, I'm being uh, counseled, (laughs) I've sought out from from others and um, you know, I haven't been told that I'm outside of the bounds of my confessions in any way. Yeah. Um, then I definitely think it needs to be followed through. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you've got a, you've got a huge gift and people that abuse others, um, they don't like the image of God at, at the end of the day, you know, the image of God threatens the image they have of themselves. And I think, you know, keep doing that. It's, it's tough. Cause this stuff injures you. Like people don't realize the physical toll it takes Yeah, on, you know, it's, it's, it's physiologically, just, yeah. you know, affects you. Yeah. And it's just like normal human reactions to trauma, like right. on people, like, mm-hmm. so, you know, take that space. To, I would just recommend like, take that space to heal, but yeah, don't, don't give up your gift or your calling. Cause you know, I think, you know, you'll come out of it and um, you'll have something special, I think, to contribute. Thank you. I mean, I really, I've, I feel like I need to hold everything loosely because um, who am I? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, if, and the Lord can use anyone for anything that he Amen. wants. Yeah. But, um, so I get like squeamish when people talk about gifts and stuff, <laughs> my gifts, but I mean, I know we all have gifts, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, God can use me somewhere else too. So, um, I, I feel comfortable and at ease with that. 
Yeah, and, and you should. It's, it's uh, I don't know, I, I had uh, a minister friend of mine, she mentioned that uh, she didn't have any issue with self-confidence or self-image. It's not like she had an exalted view of herself, but she, you know, she was very, until she got into ministry. Mm. And then it all kind of came out. But yeah, because people try to destroy, destroy you constantly. You think you are. <laughs> you, you have yeah. to like do some extra work. You didn't yeah. have to do work. But it's, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I take, I don't know, I, who am I to comfort her or anything? But it's just one of those where I was like, well, I mean, if, if the Spirit's got you here, if the Spirit's got you, then yeah. the job of the church at our best, of course, is to basically just be present with, with you and mm. whatever we can do to get you through this. And that applies to her, applies to you, applies to you, applies to him, applies to me. <laughs> but um, if we are brothers and sisters in all of this, then our, our very goal as a church is to be a place of spiritual comfort, not a place where you feel what is it? It was a great quote. I heard uh, you are, you should always feel uh, welcome at church, and, but you should never feel safe at church because mm. church is always that place that will, yeah cultivate and form you and stuff like that. And that's of course, assuming the best of that church body. Of course. But, um, yeah. But. And I think at the end of the day, Jesus called us to take up our cross and follow him. And it, it sucks. <laughs> I'm feeling like that right now, but yeah. <laughs> it's costly. Yeah. I just, really like at, you know, my life and, and whatever the cost of what I've written is minor compared to so many people. So, but it's still, it's still big. Like, and yeah, just, I think it'll be okay, but yeah, it's well, it's no small matter. Even from like, yeah, our, it's not a small matter, and, like, and 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 more because I can't tell you how many messages and and contacts I get from other people in the church who are yeah. under spiritual abuse. Yeah. Who I mean, that's what keeps me writing. Yeah. 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 Good. Very good. And we'll look forward to your next, your next book too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the time out of, out of your day and, and for your, your gift and your voice. Uh, it's not just Mike Bird that thinks you're awesome. We hands <laughs> and all of that. So it's a pleasure and a joy that you were able to join us today. Yeah. And thanks to Mike for that awesome introduction. He really makes me sound better than I am. I wish I could take him on my speaking engagements. I know, just take a Mike Bird wherever you go. Everyone needs to <laughs> Mike, I got to get an intro. Come on. Like, yeah. get first Mike Bird intros. <laughs> <laughs> be great. It was great talking to you guys.